welcome to For and Against, where we take a look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. In a slightly different format now, yes, rather than punching out a hardly sized show once a month, we, we're now trimming it down a little and going fortnightly, so to twice the fun. It's Paul Roach with you here, just as trim as always, and I'm joined by some very good friends and colleagues, namely Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. Feeling trimmed down, Roachy, and ready to go. Looking good, and uh, coming in from the uh, the Melbourne end is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. I am a lean, mean podcasting machine. Indeed, and uh, we've also leaned up a little bit on numbers, so fans of David Gill will uh, have to bait their breath somewhat. He's taking a, a bit of a sabbatical from for and against, focusing on his master's football career or soccer, uh, and he's also immersing himself, uh, and I'm going to be discreet here, it's okay, John. I mean, something of a, a sports tech side hustle, side hustle, I believe is the term. Mm. Um, maybe we can bring you some more developments on that as Dave Dave's ventures into the, this world of sports tech startups continue, so... Stay tuned on that. Looking forward to uh, hearing more about that, and we'll have to negotiate some kind of exit package with him as well. You know, <laughs> does that mean we get more of the big bucks, Rochi? What's going on? I think so. We also have to incur more of the costs. Does he go out on top though? That, oh, that's look, a question. It's and very look, relevant. Look, well, he hasn't gone out. He's taken a sabbatical. That's the official this line. True. But look, for now, ahead of us, we'll look at the reaction to Ash Barty's retirement. Has she gone out at the top? Has she what? What it says about both her and indeed uh, the reaction about us. On the shootout, we'll kick around some recent private equity moves in the world of sport and also consider the plight of Italian football, who've been knocked out of the Italians, that is, being knocked out of the World Cup for the second time in a row. Of course, as always, we'll be wrapping it up with red card, yellow card. The Italian team doesn't qualify because that happened on the field of play. Uh, we like looking at things off the field of play. Uh, on the socials, you can get us uh, on Twitter at for and against underscore, on Insta, for dot and dot against. Uh, and I've given up giving out the email address because no one emails, and that's fair enough. Is there a cuter photo in world sport than that photo of a, what, eight-year-old Ash Barty grinning shyly at the camera while clutching a trophy? It's almost a bit sepia tone too, isn't it? Well, in, in one of the shocks of the sporting world, of course, Ash has now pulled the pin from her great tennis career with a reaction that reverberated around the sporting world. Sure did, Rochi. I mean, it, it was a hard one to take, wasn't it? I mean, really, you could not get a sporting star more at the peak of his or her career. 25 years of age, three majors. You think about... Including the most recent one. Including the most recent one, world number one. And if you think about where women's tennis is at the moment, you've got Serena Williams coming right to the end of her career, having dominated for a number of years. It being up in the air as to who the, the future stars are going to be, Ash could have dominated for quite some years um, For ahead a decade, of feasibly. All Absolutely. All things going well. And um, she's Australian. And, you know, we just had someone up there um, on that world stage. So it certainly hit me pretty hard. Um, but she's just so likable, isn't she? I mean, you, you listen to that press conference and you hear her reasons and it's really hard to, to argue against it. Maybe she's got something to hide. Maybe something hasn't come out that would otherwise have come out if she continued playing. Uh, you know, you two disgust me. You just, <laughs> you just disgust me. And I think you are proof that Ash Barty is a higher form of human being. Uh, the, the fact that she can disappoint one of you and mystify the other is testament to this weird uh, stereotype of an Australian sporting fan that just has to go to the way of the dodo. What what Ash Barty has done has started something that I think is going to turn out to be quite special. You, you're seeing something here where uh, a sports person said, you know what, 
I have made over $20 million in prize money. I have won my, I've achieved my childhood dream of winning Wimbledon. And why do I need to go on? Why do I need to, to dominate, as you say, Simon? Why do I need to keep turning up all around the world in this traveling circus when I like being at home? I like being with my nieces. I like being with my dogs. She just made what I think any rational person was uh, a smart decision. I mean, I think fair call, and but well, ultimately, don't be that easy on John. I'm not going to be that easy. I mean, she's not Robinson Crusoe here. I mean, there's historical precedents, as we all know, of a whole bunch of other athletes going out uh, or retiring at their prime. I mean, Bjorn Borg, obviously a big example at 26, Ian Thorpe at 24, Shane Gould at 16, Mark Eller at 25, Casey Stoner, Rochi, mm. motorsporting hero, went out at 27. Um, so it's not like you know she's the first to do this, but um, oh. I think her reasons are, are quite interesting. It is, I mean, in all seriousness, it's quite interesting to hear her talk about that. She's so she seems to be in, so in touch with, you know, who she wants to be and as an individual, as opposed to you know what she achieves as an athlete. I think that's the big difference. The reasons are a big difference. I think you go through that list. Some of them left because of mental pressure. Some of them left because the game was amateur and they needed to make a living. Some of them may have left for other you know, issues perhaps uh, off the field of play. Ash Barty had the world at her feet, as you said, and said, I've got better things to do. I've done what I needed to do here and I'm going to move on. That that maturity is, well, you know, hardly heard I, of I in think the world of sport. Hardly heard of, any, and especially in Australian sport. Hmm. It's, it is interesting because, I mean, she's obviously been able to, I presume, I presume she's been able to separate out her personal identity with her sporting identity. And this is something you hear a little bit from sports stars, you know, once they've finished, where where they have struggled having retired is to go, well, Paul Roach, the footballer, the sports star, <laughs> yeah. is no longer... Who is this Paul Roach that's left? Yeah, there's that old saying that elite sports stars die twice and the first time is when they right. retire. Mm. I mean, I think it, it might have been... Um, oh, there was a show on SBS or ABC a, a number of years ago on, on TV. might have been Inside, I think, on SBS, where they got a panel full of you know sporting people. And I think, and I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I think Lauren Jackson was uh, was the person on the panel who was fairly open. I mean, I think she's she's been open about some struggles she's had you know, in or around or post-retirement. And a lot of that was to do with Mental some of that health was to do issues. With, yeah, but but in particular, this idea of separating identity. If you've given your whole life, and, you know, I introed with that um, with that photo, that, that the story of that photo of the eight-year-old for a reason, because, you know, it's been her life, but for a little <laughs> diversion into another professional sport. But, yeah, I think that's the challenge these big athletes face, to, to, to divest themselves off their, their sporting personality. There's a, a real influence on Ash Barty in the form of her mindset coach, um, mindset Ben Crow. Coach. Ben, mindset coach. And I think you can see his influence in a number of areas around sport at the moment. He's also uh, the mindset coach for Dylan Alcott, Stephanie Gilmore, uh, Trent Cotchen, and Dusty Martin. And you listen to these people talk and there's a very similar theme and it's along the lines of what you just said, Paul, which is separating the person from the persona. And that persona of a sporting demigod who needs to dominate is different from the person 
who just happens to be really good at tennis, has trained really hard, tries really hard, does their best, but it's just a game of tennis. I, I really recommend you have a look at Dylan Alcott's interviews and speeches after he lost the final of the Australian Open. And people interviewed him asking, how disappointed must you be to go out, you know, with a loss, you know, when you've won, how many you won, 17 Grand Slams? That's a lot. Some he, extraordinary he, number. He announced pre, prior to that this was his last tournament, wasn't he it? He did. He did. And he said... I'm more than a tennis player, right? This is just something I do. Uh, I, I want to be a spokesperson for disabled people. That's 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 the higher priority for me. I lost a game of tennis today. Good on my opponent, but I'm uh, I've got I've got bigger things to do. I mean, playing devil's advocate here and perhaps being a little bit cynical of the names that I mentioned at the outset, so Borg, Thorpe, Gould, Ella, throwing Michael Jordan as well, early retirement there. Each of those names they retired, but they did have a comeback. So, I mean, what are the odds here that, you know, we're talking about Ash Barty 2022, give it a couple of years, two or three years, will will we see her back on the tennis court? It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Well, she's obviously um, established herself as a cricketer, so presumably the Brisbane Heat women's team will be have already been on the phone. She's a big Richmond fan, so presumably the uh, the women's team there will be on the phone. I think we'd see her on the golf course as well, club champion. Very well on, yeah. on the golf course, yep. yeah. Um, the world, the world's her oyster. Any any other alternatives, Riles? Uh, you know, I, I suspect you know if we just go back the last six months, uh, they were looking for people for the curling team and uh, and the luge, <laughs> uh, and she could do all of the above. The question is, does she want to? Right? Does, is is that how Ash Barty wants to spend her time and her energy? And I, I just think that it's a different way of thinking about it, and I I think it's going to be quite influential. And we're going to see this as a little bit of a, a change in thinking in Australian sports people. Be fair to say that that our mind coach that you mentioned before probably isn't advising Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. <laughs> they seem to be going on and on and on and on. Maybe they're defined by their their time on the court. Who knows? I think this is a, this is a really interesting counterpoint. I reckon is the men's tennis game the better or the worse for those guys hanging on. I mean, they've hung on and stayed on top for all that time. And you know what? You know, here we are now. Entertain us. You know, we we saw these these three men dominate the game, but you know, to, at what cost? Have, have we seen? Have we missed something in the game? Have we lost something? As a casual tennis fan, I think it's been great for the game because you know, you know, the attraction of sport is in part rivalries. And the personalities, and you may not like the personalities, and Roger Federer may not be a big personality per se. He's a big sportsman, but you know, you go and turn on the men's tennis, and you know what you you have a fair idea of what it's culminating to. I think, in some ways, the women's tennis is the poorer for Jono. You described that uncertainty as to who who is at the top, and maybe that's just my view. Others might go, no, I'd much prefer the, the, that uncertainty. I suppose but that's yeah. a, that's a personal view, but 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 it's just circumstantial that, that the men's game has had that experience of it's a really weird experience, unusual experience of having had three and maybe at times a fourth person who was they're, they're going to be the semi-finalists 99 times out of 100 almost and, literally and i mean not to put too fine a point on it but i mean there are the obvious differences in that female um, sports stars will get to a certain age and they probably will want to have some time off and have a family so you've had you know kim clysters do that she mm. 
was world number one, retired at, I think, 25 or 26, went off and had a couple of kids and then came back and won a couple of majors. You know, Serena Williams has had a family as well and, and come back. So, I, I mean, I think there are the obvious differences there between the men's and the women's game. But you've got to ask yourself, those that, that big three have won, what, 60, 61, I guess, 21, 20 and 20, 61 of the last 80 Grand Slams. I mean, it, I, I get your point about great rivalries. But this is getting ridiculous. You, you might as well be a, a round robin tournament between the, the hmm. three of them. Uh, you you got to ask yourself when they won that. When they won the the sixth or the seventh or the eighth, you know, wh- why were they coming back? Uh, why, well, they didn't knows? have anything else to do. The notoriety, the extra five million bucks, the cash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the, conti- the 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 relevance continuation. You know, if you retire from that, you drop out of the spotlight. Maybe that's what you feed off. Maybe that's what you like. Maybe that's the life you used to. Maybe that's the wife your entourage. So the life, I beg your pardon, uh, your entourage is used to. Maybe there's pressure to keep going from others. Um, look, look, I mean, I think we could speculate on that all, all day, but I do want to quit before we wrap this one up. I do want to come back to your point, Riles, about it being really hard for a sports person to do, in particular an Australian sports person to do, because of the the expectations we have on on our sports people. And I think this is a fascinating part of the reaction to her retirement. We are. I don't think either of us demonstrated disappointment, by the way, Riles, even though you characterised it as that earlier on. But we, I think collectively we are disappointed that she's retired because we saw ourselves sitting on the couch or going into the, going to the stadiums and watching her dominate the game for the next decade. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of selfishness, I think, on the part of the Aussie spectator in particular, and maybe well, it doesn't need to be Aussie, that she's gone so early. I think there's a little part of us that feels robbed. Yeah, I agree, 100%. Riles won't. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I won't, because I think she's taught me something, and that oh. is that I, I think that idea, it's it's not healthy, and, you know, we're going to yeah, have sure. to get over ourselves. No, I, I agree with that, I agree with that, but the, the that's the that's the mindset of the, the, the stereotypical Aussie sports fan, that they want, uh, you know, we want to be entertained, we want to see the best, and we want the, our, our representatives to give their all. It's that sort of heroism projection on our on our sports stars, our heroes. Not saying it's right, Steve, or good, or healthy. But, well, but that's why we've been sidelined by you. it. We weren't expecting I, I, a 25-year-old yeah. Ash Barty to pull that pull that trick. And she may be back, I reckon. We'll, all, we'll see. She may be, and look, she's done it, and all power to her. Uh, yes, yeah, so in this new format, we go straight to the shootout where we cover a couple of things at uh, a faster pace. I want to talk quickly about private equity. We do from time to time here on the shootout. We love uh, the way the business world interacts with the sporting world. So um, private equity continues its relentless march into the sporting landscape. Now, the current talk is of CVC, pretty prominent name in the private equity world, taking a, I believe it's a 13% stake in a newly formed company to exploit the commercial rights of Ligue 1, the, uh, the Ligue French Ligue 1. Ligue 1, the French <laughs> Premier League. What are you laughing at, Riles? Ligue 1. Tre- Trebian, Richie. Um, uh, yeah, and they're shilling out 1.5 bill for the sake of this little 13% stake. As you do. Yeah, but... And that said, will they? Because for CBC, this whilst they've had a, a few cracks in European football, last December 2021, as we talk, they put in a, about 2 billion euro into a stake that was going to be picking up at the La Liga commercial thing. And that, in Spain? 
Thank you very much. Yep. And uh, did I say that twice or something? Or not, no, no, not enough. La Liga. But La Liga. Yes, thank you for, for some listeners who, who aren't aware where La Fair Liga enough. are playing. And I'm not going to try your, the accent your, there. Your, Span- your Spanish <laughs> accent wasn't wasn't La Liga. At all. Unlike your French, unlike your French accent, which was flawless. Liga. Um, but Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Athletic Bilbao apparently is trying to dissolve that arrangement. Then about a couple of years ago, CVC were also uh, on the verge of getting something arranged with the Italian Serie A. How's that one, Steve? It's um it's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, you've you've thrown a few big numbers at us there, Rochi, a few few billion. But mm. I mean, the the stat that I saw, which really blew my mind. So apparently, in the last twelve months, private equity firms spent fifty one billion dollars on sports transactions. Mm. It's just a wow. staggering amount. And I mean that again. For the last year, in the last twelve months, fifty one billion dollars has been spent USD. or invested. Um, yeah, in US dollars by private equity firms into into sports transactions. So little bit of reading on that. Apparently, you know, what's in it for private equity and why are they investing in it during COVID times? Because it does seem a little bit counter-cyclical that you'd be pumping so much money into it. But it's, you know, the old issues of um, media rights, which are obviously still incredibly valuable. They make the sports franchises and leagues valuable. There's also the growth of legal sports gambling, particularly in the US. So that's been legalized recently and that's a new mm. revenue stream obviously attached to these sorts of sports. But also, I think one of the big things that people have noticed is even with COVID, where you've had you know one key part of the value chain, the live sporting event, not being able to happen, they've been able to show their resilience. So from the private equity firm's point of view, they probably see a lot of upside in that. And yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Well, I, th- I think you're also seeing an amazing amount of success in, in some of these ventures. So Formula mm. One, uh, sorry, sorry, well, Formula One Break it has... Down. Um, <laughs> Has uh, has done an amazing thing with Drive to Survive on Netflix, um, and when I say amazing, the, the the big shift that I read about the other day is that for the Australian Grand Prix, there's something instead of twenty five percent of uh, I'm not sure if it's viewers or ticket buyers being female, it's up to thirty five, and they mm-hmm. put this down to Netflix and Drive to Survive. So that that ability to I think some people are calling it cross platform. Broadcasting, so you're broadcasting the sport and you're broadcasting the reality TV series, and it's not just Drive to Survive. Yeah, you know, there's been the All or Nothing series that's been going around on Amazon Prime, which has followed different teams in uh, AFL, EPL. Sorry, no, yeah, it's done AFL, the Collingwood, yep. um, the NFL, and that's been incredibly successful as well. And I think that the private equity firms see this as the big opportunity to expand markets. And that's where they make money. If they can sell more tickets mm. than is sold today, they, they're in. They, they know there's a growth potential. You create a bigger, a bigger market. You create a big, bigger pie. And so you, when you go to sell, which inevitably these guys do, that's basically exactly. why they exist. And you look at CVC with what they did with Formula One. They they bail out the German banks. I think uh, let's say about ten or fifteen years ago, and they they held the commercial rights, and they're the ones that sold to Liberty. I'm fairly sure. So yeah, they they held the rights for quite some time. And no doubt they made a good buck and Liberty's made a good buck on, on top of that. So it's kind of the way the world goes round. But I am sorry to say that the All Blacks capitulated to the offer of private equity. You might recall if you listen to the show regularly, a few months ago, we were sort of quietly lauding the All Blacks because uh, New Zealand rugby was certainly trying to get some money from Silver Lake, another U- I think they're US, pretty sure the US uh, private equity firm. And the former players, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association was resisting but in February of this year, 2022, they capitulated and uh, said, show me the money. And so, yeah, Silver Lake's going to tip in 
200 million New Zealand dollars and going to take about 8.5% to invest in the game at all levels. New Zealand rugby will, quote-unquote, retain full control over rugby as well as the commercial strategy, with Silver Lake remaining 8.5% or thereabouts investor. Money talks, Richie. does a bit, really. Yes. And then, of course, um, we've got the whole Chelsea FC thing unfolding, oh. which, you know, let's not go to the sanctions side of things, but, you know, there's a lot of lot of money sloshing yeah. around looking for a home there, which may have been resolved by the time you listen to this. But as Any, we Anyone talk- got a lazy $4 billion to yeah. throw around? So, I mean, Roman's <laughs> been good enough to obviously write off $2, mil- two billion that he's owed or allegedly owned. Managed to loan $2 billion to the club over the last however many years. But, um, yeah, there's some big names in the running, I think. There's the Boston Celtics co-owner, um, Stephen Palukia. He's in for it. The owners of the Chicago Cubs, the Ricketts family, the LA Dodgers part owners. So we shall see. Seb Coe, I think, is, is, is part of is one, of one of the consortia. Yeah. 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 So I think there's a difference between the, the English clubs and the, the games they're playing and what the All Blacks did with Silver Lake. Yeah, I was dead against the All Blacks selling to Silver Lake. I thought it was a bad idea. In fact, I didn't think it would happen. Mm. But if you look at the way that it's where it's landed, where they've sold, I'm going to go with only 8.58%. And in return, they've got themselves a little bit of a war chest that they can put into developing the game. I think if I recall Simon's red card, yellow card nomination for the All Blacks from the last show, go back and listen if you haven't heard it, people. Nice cross They should be Steve. investing in their PR. But it's different to the, the UK where, frankly, I think they, they, these clubs are being bought as trophies and possibly, for some cases, allegedly, as a way to avoid tax. So uh, I, I'm actually a little hopeful that the All Blacks might have made a smart decision as long as they don't go back to that well. Well, time will tell, and who knows, maybe they might pop up again once uh, again in uh, red card, yellow card. And on to Italian football, that last instalment of uh, this truncated version of red card, yellow card. Um, look, Truncated version of shootout. Of the shootout. Thanks, thanks, John. Yeah, good pick up. Um, it's a bit of a shame because David, David Gill, our resident football expert, uh, not here to opine, but that doesn't stop us firing off a few opinions of our own. Now, obviously, nations in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and Maybe we'll get to the Socceroos in our next show, perhaps. But wow, it sucks to be an Italian football fan right now, having been knocked out of the World Cup for the second time in a row. And on this occasion, by the mighty North Macedonia, no less. Now, I must say... I, Powerhouse of football, well, Reggie. I thought this might have been one of those countries, inverted commas, that FIFA loves recognising, but uh, where the UN doesn't. But I, I did learn that this is the old... Macedonia. It was a bit of a hoo-ha when they, after they broke off from the old Yugoslavia, called themselves oh, yeah. Macedonia, and Greece went... Oi, hang on a tick. There's a bit of Macedonia down here. So this is North Macedonia, the country. Learned something today about the uh, geography of the world. There you go. But yeah, anyway, a, a lack of youth development is apparently being cited as the cause. It's not great, is it? I mean, the irony is that didn't they win the Euros last time around? So this time last year they won the, the Euros. Yeah, sounds and familiar. In, so they've managed to slip yeah, that in right. there. Won, yeah. won the big trophy and then just haven't made the last two World Cups. Not ideal. That's quite some narrow premiership window there. No World Cup, Euros, no World Cup. It is. It's uh, Look, I mean, this is a horrible outcome on so many levels. I mean... <laughs> Depending on who you go for, it, when you when you're following the World Cup, you know from Australia, you tend to have some uh, countries that you like to go for, and some that you like to go against. I, I personally do like barracking against Italy. Absolutely, but ever since '06, mm. now that they're not there, I'm disappointed. It's bad for ratings. It's bad for sponsors. I think there's only a couple of ways that this could this sort of thing could be solved. One option, which I'm not in favour of, is that the Big countries could get should get free entry. 
Italy mm. should be guaranteed a spot. I, I'm not really a fan of that. I just just think it takes away a bit of the drama. But the obvious answer is a World Cup every two years. Ooh. Yeah. I think that's just about dead in the water. Hopefully, Ross. Thank Hopefully. goodness. Thank goodness. Let's move on from that and go to red card, yellow card. Yes, red card, yellow card, where we enjoy dragging back into the spotlight the things that sporting types wish that we did not. Uh, Riles, kick us off. What do you got for us? So, you know, in uh, in the spirit of what we've been talking about with uh, sport as a reality show and, uh, you know, the, the competition being in the eye of the beholder, I'd like to nominate Will Smith. Mm. Will Smith in the Stretching reality TV here. show called the Academy Awards, <laughs> you know, decided he would enter a, uh, well, some mixed martial art competition, uh, spontaneous, and uh, I think he deserves a red card. But a- I mean, point of order. It was if you're taking that line, then that was on the field of play. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, look, I, no, I, no, no. The, the, his awards weren't his. His award session wasn't until later. Ah, uh, okay. Fair enough. Mm. Yeah, look, I know we've been a bit thin on the ground for red card, yellow cards, right? It is stretching I think, it. I think else. you're the one that gets the yellow card on, the, on this occasion. Jono, the bar is pretty low, mate. Well, I think I'll limp over that bar <laughs> this month. I'm actually nominating every NRL and AFL player in Australia. Oh, right, for this exact reason I've just mentioned that it's yeah. a bit thin on well, the ground. It, it sickens me to say it, but, you know, there hasn't been a single wow. example of poor off-field behaviour worth worth mention on red card, yellow card this month. Usually by this stage of a season we've had a, mm. a drunken assault, a yeah. COVID breach, a, a drugs charge. Urinating somewhere in public. It's been nothing. Yeah. Not, not a brass razoo. I, I've scoured news.com. I've looked at the Daily Mail. <laughs> I have spent, that's, I that's in all seriousness, I spent an hour today looking <laughs> for anything. And there's just been nothing. So, I mean, I think our entire winter football codes, mm. they, they need to lift their game. Mm. And I'm looking forward to a bumper nomination crop next month. Can't rely on the cricketers because they're in a country that doesn't have alcohol. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Just. The yellow card for Australian <laughs> just, sporting just types. Yeah. yeah, radio. Look, I'm going to do marginally better again, I think, Jono. So, uh, I'm nominating Peter Fitzsimons. So he's a commentator. Ah, Will Smith is so winning this competition. Comment and rubbish. This is not a competition in itself. So Fitzsimons, a commentator, a journal, and he's an ex-Wallaby. So, you know, it's a qualification there. Exactly. And a general maker of opinions, uh, not afraid of uh, extolling his opinions. Now, you know how we'd like to make sure that people never forget the failings of sporting types? Well, I'm going back to 2013. And I'm inspired somewhat by my presence not that long ago on the on the grounds of the SCG in celebration of Buddy's 1,000th goal. Mm. Lucky enough to get out there. It was about 10 minutes after he kicked the goal. It was a fair way back, and I was didn't get anywhere near him, nor was I going to try to. That scrum looked dangerous and, and one of the best spreader or super spreader events I've ever seen. But I want to take you back to 2013 when the deal was done to get Buddy to uh, Sydney, yeah. and Fitz wrote an opinion piece writing off the newly announced deal. And uh, he opens with, this I predict tears, many tears before bedtime. Prima facie, the Buddy Franklin move to the Sydney Swans seems fraught with difficulties, and have the Swans got freaking rocks in their head? The first and most obvious thing. This is still Fitzsimons. The first and most obvious thing is that the whole shtick of the Swans for the past decade has been their no dickheads selectorial policy. Selectorial mm. being Fitz's words, thereby implying uh, quite clearly that Buddy is a bit of a Richard Cranium. And yeah. the, the deal wasn't go, going to go so well. Well, um, you got that wrong, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, there would be a couple of our listeners who might be Hawthorne fans who would uh, disagree with that. But yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> I would, think they can't Fitz disagree Simons with the had, sentiment of that article. He certainly had egg on his face. Or the, 
the prediction contained in that article. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, now, yeah, point, of, point of order on, two, on a couple of counts here. One, he's an agent provocateur in the first place. His idea is to create, you know, provoke a reaction. Mission accomplished. He's a, a commentator. I, I think this is this is a false. <laughs> you, you can't you can't nominate him. This is not doesn't count. Says the bloke Secondly, that nominated Will Smith. He, he doesn't get a choice. Well, he's an ex Wallaby. I'm the, I'm the I'm the only one who actually nominated someone who was competing for something. But the, the second point is, I think Paul, you've been spoiled because you surround yourself with sports aficionados. Who have never, ever, ever been wrong? You, you just overreacted to seeing someone else make a mistake, and, and I understand that. <laughs> anyway, so I think uh, Fitz gets a red headscarf for that one. Fair. And so the conclusion of red card, yellow card. That also brings an end to the show. So it's goodbye to Stephen Riley. Hey, everybody. Uh, goodbye to Simon Johnson. Good on you, Jono. See you, Reggie. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks again for your company. Don't forget to get us on the socials. Look for for and against and derivations thereof. And until next time, in hopefully only a fortnight's time, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Bye for now. Bye.